0: I remember the night my grandfather shared this spine-chilling tale with me a few months ago. He spoke in hushed tones, his eyes glinting with a mix of fear and nostalgia, as he recounted the eerie encounter he had with a bizarre creature during his time with the platoon in the unforgiving jungles of Vietnam. This creature, he claimed, bore a resemblance to Bigfoot, but it was different in a way that still haunts his memories to this day. The story transported me back to the year 1957 to Cam Ranh Air Base in Vietnam, where my grandfather was stationed. He had just arrived at the barracks, weary from the day's trials, and wasted no time in seeking refuge in his bunk. He knew that the next day would be demanding, and he needed all the rest he could get. Little did he know that the horrors he was about to face would render sleep an elusive luxury. The dawn of the following day found my grandfather standing shoulder to shoulder with his platoon, their boots crunching on the forest floor as they embarked on their patrol through the dense jungle. The ominous silence was broken when they stumbled upon an injured ARVN soldier, lying helpless beside a tree. My grandfather inquired about the source of his injuries, but the response was cryptic and unsettling. It's still near. Get away from here the ARVN soldier whispered. My grandfather dismissed it as the ramblings of someone traumatized and continued their mission. They carefully placed the wounded soldier on a stretcher and sent him back to the safety of the base. As they pushed deeper into the jungle, the hours passed in relative calm until a deafening unearthly scream shattered the tranquility. Panic surged through their ranks as they rushed toward the source of the sound, weapons drawn, hearts pounding, They slashed through the underbrush and entered a clearing, where a horrifying sight awaited them. There, under the dappled shadows of the jungle canopy, stood a towering, seven-foot-tall, hairy creature. It was gnawing on the remnants of some poor soul's bones, its eyes reflecting malevolence. Without hesitation, one of the soldiers opened fire, an ill-fated decision that triggered a chain of unimaginable horrors. The creature reacted with lightning speed lunging towards the unfortunate shooter and sending him hurtling into the air. His screams echoed through the clearing as he crashed back to the ground, the creature's powerful jaws clamped around his legs, crushing bone and sinew. Desperation gripped the platoon, and they unleashed a barrage of gunfire, causing the creature to yelp in agony and release its prey. Injured and enraged, the creature vanished into the shadows of the jungle "'leaving behind a nightmarish tableau. "'One soldier rushed to aid the maimed comrade, "'only to find his legs severed and his spine shattered. "'The medic hurried to the scene, "'stabilizing the injured soldier as best he could "'and placing him on a stretcher. "'The platoon began their grim march back to base, "'but the relentless pursuit of the creature was far from over. "'Approximately a mile into their return journey, "'it reappeared, its eyes burning with vengeful intent.' With lightning speed it burst from the foliage snatching another hapless soldier before dragging him into the forbidding undergrowth fear and desperation gripped the remaining men as they sprinted along the trail but my grandfather's fate took a cruel twist he stumbled over a jagged rock his head colliding with the unforgiving ground and darkness enveloped him when he regained consciousness the morning sun had begun to cast long shadows over the jungle blood trickled from a gaping gash on his forehead, staining his uniform and the earth beneath him. As he attempted to rise, a realization gripped him. He was alone. The haunting sound of heavy footsteps drew nearer and instinct kicked in. My grandfather lay motionless, feigning death as the creature approached. Minutes that felt like hours passed, with the monstrous being pacing by him, convinced that he was no longer a threat." Once the creature retreated, my grandfather cautiously rose to his feet, his heart pounding in his chest. He stumbled down the trail, hopelessly searching for any sign of his platoon. Hours stretched into an eternity, but eventually he stumbled upon a discarded helmet with a hole through the middle, a grim testament to the horrors that had unfolded. A few more steps revealed the grisly remains of his comrades, lifeless and mutilated, while the medic was conspicuously absent. Resolute in his determination to survive my grandfather picked up a discarded weapon and ventured forth his senses sharpened by the horrors He had witnessed he trudged for miles through the unforgiving jungle seemingly lost Until he chanced upon a map that offered a glimmer of hope Studying it meticulously he deciphered the route back to the base The following morning he finally stumbled back into the safety of the base his clothing tattered his face battered and bloody after they had cleaned him up, he embarked on a search for the missing medic. Eventually, he found the medic sheltered within a tent, his arm missing and his body bearing numerous lacerations. Desperate for answers, my grandfather asked, What happened? The medic's voice trembled as he recounted his harrowing journey, running with the wounded soldier on his back until exhaustion claimed him, only to be rescued by another patrol. My grandfather returned home forever changed by the horrors he had witnessed. He sought therapy to cope with the trauma that haunted his every waking moment. To this day, the identity of that grotesque creature remains shrouded in mystery, leaving us with only one word to grasp for understanding, Bigfoot. I never believed in things like ghosts, aliens, or Bigfoot. I mean, come on. In a world where everyone's got a camera in their pocket, how come no one's ever snapped a clear pic of Nessie? I always thought that stuff was for gullible folks, not for someone like me. But let me tell you, what happened a few weeks back has me questioning everything. I work as a night security guard at this big company on the outskirts of town. The place is pretty isolated sandwiched between some rarely used train tracks, and a thick forest that looks like it's straight out of a fairy tale. The job was simple enough. Keep an eye on things, make sure no one's up to any mischief. It wasn't exactly exciting, but it paid the bills. My typical night shift went something like this. I'd clock in at 10pm, grab a cup of the world's worst coffee, and settle into my little office at the front of the building. The first few hours would pass with me flipping between TV channels or beating some new high score on my video game. Every hour, I'd do a quick patrol around the building, just to make sure everything was kosher. It was a piece of cake, really. At first the job had its moments. Kids from around the area thought it was fun to mess with the big scary building. They'd do typical teenager stuff. Graffiti, broken windows, the odd firecracker thrown over the fence nothing I couldn't handle. But after a couple of close calls, I decided to bring my German Shepherd, Shu, to work. He was named after Michael Schumacher, my all-time favorite F1 racer. Shu was a real deterrent for those kids. After a few growls and barks, they decided it wasn't worth the trouble. With Shu by my side, the job became a breeze. Nights passed without incident, and I got used to the quiet. Sometimes, I'd look out at the stars, and wonder about life on other planets. I was pretty sure there was something out there, but visiting us? That seemed like a stretch. Then, three Thursdays ago, everything changed. It was a rainy night, the kind where you just want to stay in bed. I was doing my usual routine, half-watching some late-night show, when I realized it was time for my 4 a.m. patrol. I sighed, grabbed my raincoat, and whistled for shoe. He usually bounded up, ready for action, but that night he just stared at me, like he knew something was off. We stepped outside and immediately this awful stench hit me. It was like a mix of wet dog, garbage, and something rotten. Shoes seemed on edge too, sticking close to my side, which wasn't like him at all. We started our patrol, the rain pelting down, and that's when I saw it. A trail of blood leading into the grass. Following it, we found a deer carcass. It was a mess, like something out of a horror movie. Both hind legs were missing, and there was blood everywhere. I stood there trying to make sense of it. My first thought was a prank, but this was way beyond a kid's idea of a joke. We buried the remains in a far corner of the property when morning came. I told the boss about it, and we both shrugged it off as some freak occurrence. Little did I know, that was just the beginning. The calm before the storm, you could say. And boy, was I in for a storm. That deer carcass was just the start of a series of weird happenings that would turn my nights upside down. The more I think about it, the more I realize those were warning signs, like in those horror movies where you shout at the screen, telling the characters to get out of there. If only I had listened to my own gut feelings. The night after the deer incident was clear but chilly. I did my patrols more often half expecting to find another gruesome scene. Shu was acting strange too, more alert than usual, as if he sensed something I couldn't. It was eerie, like those moments in video games where the music changes and you know something's about to jump out at you. Then, three Thursdays ago, things got even weirder. It was around 2 a.m. and I was in the office playing a game to keep myself awake. Suddenly, Shu started barking like crazy I had never seen him like this before. He was pacing around, ears perked up, growling at the door. I tried to calm him down, but he just wouldn't stop. That's when I heard it, this heavy, thudding sound, like someone was walking on the roof. I grabbed my flashlight and went outside to check, thinking maybe it was some kids trying to prank us again. But when I looked around, there was no way anyone could have gotten up there. No ladders, no trees close enough, nothing and that smell from the other night was back, only fainter. It was all too much. I went back inside, feeling a mix of confusion and fear. Shu was still on edge, and honestly, so was I. The next couple of days were quiet, but that feeling of something being off just wouldn't go away. I kept thinking about the roof and the smell and that poor deer. It was like pieces of a puzzle I couldn't put together. I talked to some of the other guys at work about it, but they just joked that I was seeing ghosts. I laughed it off, but inside, I wasn't so sure. Then came Sunday night, a night that's etched into my brain like a bad dream. It started off like any other shift. I was watching some show when I heard a loud crash. It sounded like glass breaking. Shu was already at the door, barking and scratching, desperate to get out. My heart was pounding as I grabbed my flashlight and opened the door. Shu bolted out and I followed, trying to keep up with him. We ran to the back of the building, where I thought the sound had come from. But there was nothing there. No broken windows, no signs of anyone around. Just silence and darkness. Then without warning, Shu took off towards a grove of trees near the train tracks. I yelled for him to come back, but he was on a mission, He stopped suddenly about 10 feet from the trees, growling at something I couldn't see. My flashlight beam caught something moving, a shadow maybe. I squinted, trying to make out what it was. That's when my world turned upside down. A large muscular arm reached out from the trees and grabbed Shu. I heard a snap and my heart sank. I couldn't believe it. My loyal companion gone in an instant. I was frozen in shock, my mind racing. What was that thing? What should I do? I didn't have much time to think. The creature, whatever it was, turned its attention to me. Panic set in. I needed to get back to the building, but the only way was to run past it. I didn't have a choice. I took a deep breath and sprinted as fast as I could. But I wasn't fast enough. The night shoe died is etched in my mind like a bad scar. It was the kind of thing you'd expect in a horror movie. Not in your actual life i keep replaying it over and over wishing i could change what happened but i can't it's there a nightmare turned real i remember running my feet pounding against the cold ground my heart racing like a drum in my chest the building seemed miles away and every second felt like an eternity the creature whatever it was was right behind me i could feel its presence a massive looming shadow that haunted my every step. I had almost made it to the door when I felt it, a powerful grip on my shirt yanking me backward. I fell hard, the air knocked out of me. I struggled to get up, but it was no use. The creature was upon me, its weight crushing me against the ground. I remember the feel of its fur, matted and wet, brushing against my skin. I managed to turn my head and that's when I saw it. It wasn't a man, but it wasn't an animal either. It was something in between, something I had never seen before. It had the body of an ape, covered in thick, reddish-brown fur, but its face was eerily human. Its eyes glowed red in the darkness, filled with an intelligence that was almost human, but not quite. I was terrified, sure that this was the end for me. I thought of my family, my friends, and all the things I'd never get to do. I fought back, kicking and punching, but it was like hitting a brick wall. The creature barely flinched. Its strength was overwhelming, and I knew I couldn't escape. Then it looked right into my eyes. In that moment, time seemed to stop. There was something in its gaze, a kind of understanding, as if it knew me. I don't know why, but I stopped struggling. It was like I had accepted my fate. The next thing I knew, I was flying through the air. The creature had picked me up and thrown me like I was nothing. I crashed into a tree, feeling a sharp pain in my back. The world spun around me, and then everything went black. When I woke up, I was in the hospital. The doctors told me I had a broken back, and it was a miracle I was alive. They asked me what happened, but I couldn't explain it. How could I tell them that I was attacked by something that shouldn't exist? I lay there for days, trying to make sense of it all. I had always been a skeptic, someone who needed to see, to believe. But now, I had seen something that defied all logic, something that couldn't be explained. I keep thinking about those red eyes, the mix of human and animal in them. It haunts me. The idea that there are things out there we don't understand things that lurk in the shadows of our world. I don't know what that creature was, but it changed everything for me. I can't go back to the way I was before. I've seen the impossible, and it's a truth I can't escape. My life is different now, and all I can do is try to move forward, carrying the memory of that night with me. Lying in this hospital bed, I've had a lot of time to think, you know, about how in one night Everything I believed, or thought I knew, got turned upside down. It's funny how life throws you a curveball when you least expect it. One moment, you're just a regular guy with a regular job, and the next, you're lying here with a broken back, haunted by memories of red eyes and a creature that shouldn't exist. I miss Shu every day. He wasn't just a dog. He was my buddy, my fearless partner. Losing him was like losing a piece of myself. I keep replaying that night in my head, wishing I could have done something, anything to save him. But deep down I know it was impossible. That thing, that creature, it was beyond anything I could handle. As the days pass, I find myself staring out of the hospital window, watching the world go by and thinking about how different my life is now. I used to be a skeptic, a guy who laughed at stories of Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. Now I'm the guy with a story that nobody would believe. It's a strange feeling, knowing something that no one else does. Something so unbelievable that even saying it out loud sounds crazy. I've talked to the doctors and the police, tried to explain what happened. But how do you explain the unexplainable? They think I was attacked by a bear or some other wild animal. I guess that makes sense to them. It's a logical explanation, but they didn't see what I saw. They didn't look into those glowing red eyes sometimes late at night i wonder if it'll come back if it's out there watching waiting it's a terrifying thought but it's there in the back of my mind i keep telling myself it's just my imagination but after what i've seen i can't be sure of anything anymore this whole experience has changed me i used to live my life without really thinking about the mysteries of the world the unknown that lurks in the shadows but now i can't stop thinking about it it's like i've been given a glimpse of something bigger something beyond our understanding and it's both fascinating and frightening i'm not sure what the future holds for me the doctors say i'll walk again but it's going to be a long road to recovery i know i can't go back to my old job to my old life that's gone now replaced by something new something uncertain As I lie here, I can't help but feel a sense of loss, not just for Shu, but for my old self, the man who didn't believe in monsters. That man is gone, replaced by someone who knows that the world is full of mysteries, of things we can't explain. I don't know if I'll ever find the answers I'm looking for, or if I'll ever come to terms with what happened that night, but one thing's for sure, I'll never forget those red eyes, the feel of that fur, And the night that changed everything my life is a different story now one that's just beginning the moment our tires crunched on the gravel driveway of that rental near mount rainier i knew this trip was going to be something else i've always had a knack for sensing when things are about to turn sideways maybe it's the montana in me Or maybe it's just because I've read too many of creepy novels. Either way, as I looked out at the dense Washington forest that surrounded us, I felt an itch at the back of my mind. My friends were a mix of excitement and exhaustion as we unloaded our bags. Alex, the planner of our group, had found this place. Guys, this is going to be epic, he said, with a grin that was too wide to be just about the scenery. Sarah, the skeptic, Rolled her eyes, but couldn't hide her curiosity. And then there was Mark, always ready for anything, camera in hand. We were greeted by Michelle, our rental host, who had the rugged, weathered look of someone who spent her life outdoors. She was across the street, tending to a horse in a pasture that seemed to stretch into infinity. Welcome, she called out, her voice carrying a hint of something I couldn't quite place. Intrigue, maybe. We all walked over to greet her, eager to stretch our legs and get to know the place. Michelle had a way about her that was both disarming and slightly unnerving. She offered to show us around her property, and we eagerly agreed. The place was more than just a house. It was a slice of untouched wilderness, complete with more horses and a smattering of other farm animals. But it was when we crossed over to her backyard, past her quaint wooden house, that things started to get interesting. Michelle gathered us in a circle, her eyes glinting with a mix of mischief and excitement. So, do you guys want to go back home with a story? She asked, her voice dropping to a whisper. How could we say no? We followed her past a barn, walking into a part of her backyard that was more forest than garden. The ground was soft underfoot, the air thick with the scent of pine and earth. About a hundred feet in, Michelle stopped us. Look down, she instructed. At our feet was a footprint, but not just any footprint. It was massive, easily twice the size of my own, and oddly shaped, wider and longer than any humans could be. And there were toe imprints, clear as day. This, Michelle said, a serious tone replacing her earlier playfulness, was made by a Sasquatch, a Sasquatch. The word hung in the air like a challenge. I glanced at my friends, saw their expressions mirror my own mix of disbelief and curiosity. Michelle went on to tell us how she found the imprint, and then, almost as an afterthought, how she had come to own this land and the property across the street where we were staying. Her voice took on a somber note. You might think I'm crazy, but if I knew about their existence, I would have never moved here. Do you want to see more? There was a collective pause, a moment where we all considered the sanity of following this path, but adventure has a way of tipping the scales. We nodded, and Michelle led us deeper into the woods. As we walked, the forest seemed to close in around us. The chirping of birds and the rustling of leaves were the only sounds that accompanied our footsteps. I felt a shiver run down my spine, the kind you get when you realize you're part of a story much bigger than yourself and as the shadows lengthened around us, I couldn't shake the feeling that we were not alone. As we ventured further into the dense Washington woods, I felt an uneasiness creep up my spine. I've been in plenty of wild places, but there was something about these woods, shrouded in the twilight, that felt different. The trees loomed over us like silent giants, their branches casting long strange shadows that danced in the breeze. Michelle led us with a confidence that only comes from someone who knows every inch of their land. She was part guide, part storyteller, weaving a narrative that was as captivating as it was unsettling. We were deep in her territory now, far from the comforts of the rental. Here, Michelle said, stopping suddenly. She pointed at the ground to a cluster of sticks. They were arranged in a way that was too deliberate to be the work of nature. I laid these out earlier today. Look how they've been moved. We circled around the sticks, the air thick with intrigue. The arrangement was peculiar, like a cryptic message left by an unknown hand. Michelle's theory was that the Sasquatch were mischievous creatures, fond of small pranks like this. It was hard to digest, but out here, in the embrace of the wilderness, anything seemed possible. As we walked on, I couldn't shake off the feeling of being watched. The forest had a presence, a personality almost. It was as if the trees themselves were alive with secrets, whispering tales of the unknown. Michelle's next words sent a chill down my spine. Right about here is where you might feel something unusual, she said, her voice barely above a whisper. And she was right. The air around us felt charged, electric. The hair on my arms stood on end, and I wasn't the only one. Alex looked around nervously, and even Sarah, our group's skeptic, seemed uneasy. "'They asked me to bring you here,' Michelle continued, her voice taking on a solemn tone. "'The Sasquatch, I mean. They wanted to say hello.' I tried to process her words. Were we really being summoned by a legendary creature, or was this all an elaborate ruse? But before I could ponder further, Michelle posed a question that cut through the silence like a knife." Has any of you recently lost a brother, or experienced psychic abilities?" We exchanged glances, each of us shaking our heads. The question hung in the air, adding to the thickening plot of our little adventure. Our journey took us to the last point of our walk. Michelle's eyes widened as she examined another set of sticks. "'I can't believe it,' she murmured. Earlier she had laid them out, and now they were rearranged, just like the first set. She spoke of how she often left gifts for the Sasquatch, food mostly, and how they always disappeared. I was skeptical, to say the least. I've spent enough time in the wild to know that plenty of creatures could be responsible for missing food. But there was something in Michelle's conviction that made me question my doubts. Just when I thought things couldn't get any stranger, we heard it, a sound that defied description. It was distant but clear, a bizarre chorus of hoots and laughs, unlike anything I've ever heard. Michelle's face lit up. "'That's them,' she said with certainty. "'The Sasquatch.' We stood there, in the heart of the forest, listening to the haunting melody of the wild. It was a moment suspended in time, a crossroads between the known and the unknown. And as we made our way back to the cabin, the forest seemed to whisper its secrets, leaving us with more questions than answers.' Back at the rental, the night had wrapped itself around the cabin like a dark, enigmatic blanket. We sat on the porch, nursing our drinks, each lost in thought. The conversation swirled around our bizarre encounter. Theories tossed back and forth like a game of catch. Alex was all in, buying every word Michelle had said. Sarah remained skeptical, her brows knitted in doubt. And Mark, well... He seemed more interested in capturing the perfect night shot of the woods than joining our debate. The thing about the wilderness is, it has a way of stripping down your beliefs, leaving you raw and open to possibilities you'd scoff at in the light of day. And right then, under the vast starry sky, I felt that vulnerability. I'm going back out there, declared Alex suddenly, his voice cutting through the night. I have to see this for myself. Mark, ever the adventurer didn't hesitate to join him. I watched them disappear into the tree line, their flashlights bobbing like will-o'-the-wisps in the darkness. Left alone, I felt a strange sense of solitude. I wasn't up for chasing shadows in the woods. Instead, I rolled a joint and settled into the quiet, letting the serene beauty of the Washington wilderness wash over me. The cabin, with its warm lights and rustic charm, felt like a sanctuary but the stillness of the night was deceptive. As I sat there, lost in the tranquility, it happened again. That sound, distant but unmistakable, the eerie, almost otherworldly call that Michelle had attributed to the Sasquatch. It started as an owl's hoot, morphing into that bizarre, monkey-like laughter. I froze, every instinct screaming that this wasn't just some nocturnal animal, There was an intelligence in that sound, a deliberate communication that transcended the barriers of the known world. I wanted to dismiss it, to rationalize it as the trickery of the night. But sitting there, alone in the vastness of the wilderness, I couldn't. Time seemed to stretch on endlessly, the sound echoing in my mind, long after it had faded away. When Alex and Mark finally returned, I relayed my experience. But they hadn't heard anything, Their skepticism was evident, and I couldn't blame them. If I hadn't heard it with my own ears, I might have been skeptical too. The night wore on, and eventually we retreated to the warmth of the cabin. But sleep was elusive. I lay in bed, my mind racing with questions. What were those sounds? Was Michelle playing an elaborate prank, or was there something more to her stories? Driven by a restless curiosity, I grabbed my phone and did what any modern-day seeker of truth would do. I googled. Washington State Creepy Laugh Animal, I typed. The first result was an article titled, Bigfoot or Animals? Hair-raising sounds coming from a swamp on Indian Reservation in Oregon. My heart skipped a beat. The description matched what I had heard perfectly. As I lay there, staring into the darkness, I realized that the wilderness holds more mysteries than we can fathom and sometimes the line between legend and reality is thinner than we dare to believe. Morning in the Washington wilderness is like waking up in a different world. The light filters through the trees in a soft golden haze, painting everything in a hue of tranquility. But that morning, as I sat on the porch with a steaming cup of coffee, the beauty of the surroundings was overshadowed by the lingering questions from the previous night. The article I had found about the Bigfoot sounds in Oregon was still open on my phone. I reread it, searching for some clue, some rational explanation, but the words just danced around the possibility of the unknown, offering no concrete answers. Alex and Mark were the first to join me, their steps heavy with the lack of any real discovery from their nocturnal expedition. Sarah followed, her skepticism now mixed with a tinge of curiosity. We sat there in silence, each of us lost in our own thoughts. The conversation from last night resumed, but with a different tone. Now there was a sense of wonder, a willingness to entertain the idea that maybe, just maybe, there was more to Michelle's stories than we had initially believed. It was time to leave the cabin, to say goodbye to the mystery that had enveloped us for the past couple of days. We packed our things, the mood subdued. The encounter with the unknown had touched each of us in different ways, leaving a mark that wouldn't easily fade. As we loaded the car, Michelle appeared. Her demeanor was the same as when we first met her, a mix of the earthly and the ethereal. "'I hope you found what you were looking for,' she said, her eyes twinkling with an unspoken knowledge. We exchanged farewells, but her words stayed with me. Had we found what we were looking for?' or had we stumbled upon a mystery that was never meant to be solved. The drive back was quiet, each mile taking us further away from the enigmatic woods and back to our reality. But the wilderness has a way of staying with you, its mysteries seeping into your soul. In the days that followed, I found myself diving deeper into the lore of the Sasquatch, reading accounts, watching documentaries, The skeptic in me battled with the part that had heard those unexplainable sounds in the dark. The rational part of my brain argued for logic, but the primal part, the part that had sat alone on that porch, knew that some things defy explanation. I realized then that the wilderness is more than just trees and wildlife. It's a living, breathing entity, filled with secrets and stories that go back centuries. And sometimes... It chooses to reveal a glimpse of its mysteries, not to provide answers, but to remind us that there are things in this world beyond our understanding. As I sat at my desk, the city noises a stark contrast to the serene silence of the woods, I knew that the experience would stay with me. The line between legend and reality might be blurred, but sometimes the mystery is more important than the truth. In the end, Our Sasquatch experience in Washington State was a journey into the unknown, a reminder of the vast and unexplored mysteries that lie hidden in the heart of the wilderness. Hi, I'm Lindsay, a 19-year-old who lives in a pretty quiet part of Pennsylvania. You know, the kind of place where everyone knows each other and nothing much happens. I live here with my parents and my two sisters, Mary and Farika. Mary is older than me and has always been the brave one, and Farika, well, she's the baby of the family. We've always been close, but living in a rural area means we have to make our own fun most of the time. So it was Farika's birthday coming up and we wanted to do something special for her. She hadn't been hiking before, and Mary and I had only done it once, but we figured it would be a fun way to spend the day. We planned to explore the trails in the state game lands. They were a bit off the beaten path, not too far from our house, and hardly anyone ever went there. It sounded perfect for a quiet day out in nature. The night before the hike, we sat around our kitchen table, double-checking our backpacks. We weren't exactly pros, so we made sure to pack all the essentials. Pocket knives, flashlights, and a medical kit, just in case. Mary joked that we were preparing for an expedition, but I could tell she was a bit nervous. She always had a knack for sensing when something wasn't quite right. The next morning, we started our adventure. The sun was shining, and the birds were singing. It felt like the perfect day for a hike. We chatted excitedly as we walked from our house to the base of the hill, where the trail started. I remember telling Farika all about the beautiful views we'd see, and the cool pictures we could take. As we approached the trail, Mary suddenly turned serious. She reminded us that we were in a pretty secluded area and that there could be animals around. It is the woods after all, she said. I rolled my eyes a bit. I knew she was just being her overprotective self, but I couldn't shake off the feeling that maybe she was right to worry. Finally, we reached the parking lot, which was as empty as we expected. The entrance to the trail was marked by two main paths, with occasional blue dots spray painted on trees to guide hikers. The trail wasn't well known or frequently used, which made it seem more like an adventure to us. We were a couple of newbies, but we were excited to explore this hidden gem so close to home. As we began our hike, Mary took the lead, with me in the middle and Farika bringing up the rear. The first steps onto the trail involved climbing a small but steep hill, I remember feeling a mix of excitement and a tiny bit of apprehension as we ascended. We were just three girls out in the middle of nowhere, relying on each other and a few blue dots to guide us. The trail ahead was beautiful, surrounded by tall trees and the sounds of nature. It was peaceful, just like we wanted. Little did we know, our peaceful hike was about to take a turn we'd never forget. We were deep into our hike. Surrounded by the lush greenery of the state game lands, the trail was more beautiful than we remembered. Sunlight streamed through the leaves, creating patterns on the ground that danced as we walked. Mary was leading the way, pointing out different birds and trees. Farika was totally into it, snapping pictures with her phone. I was just happy to be out there with them, feeling the crunch of leaves under my boots and the cool breeze on my face. As we walked, we started to spread out a little. Mary was a few steps ahead, and Farika lagged behind, caught up in capturing every moment. I was in the middle, feeling like the bridge between my adventurous older sister and the wide-eyed wonder of my younger one. Suddenly, the peacefulness of our hike was shattered by a loud rustling noise to our left. It sounded like something big moving through the underbrush. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest. I looked at Farika, who had stopped taking pictures and was now staring in the direction of the noise, her face a mix of curiosity and fear. Then I looked up at Mary. She had stopped too and was standing completely still, her eyes fixed on something in the woods. I'll never forget the look on her face. It was like she'd seen a ghost. Then, in a voice that was barely more than a whisper, she said, Turn around, guys. Farika and I were confused. Why? What's wrong? I asked. But Mary just repeated herself more urgently this time. Turn around and run. Now. I'd never heard her sound so scared. Without another word, she started sprinting back the way we came, and Farika followed immediately. I hesitated for a moment, torn between wanting to see what had scared Mary so much and the instinct to flee. I took a quick glance over my shoulder, but I couldn't see anything except trees and shadows. Yet the rustling noise was getting louder, closer. I didn't wait any longer. I turned and ran as fast as I could, my heart racing and my mind filled with terrifying possibilities of what could be behind us. I caught up with Mary and Farika, who were waiting for me just before the entrance to the parking lot. Why did we run? What did you see? I panted, trying to catch my breath. Mary shook her head, her eyes wide with fear. I'm not sure, but we need to keep moving. Let's get out of here. We didn't stop to rest. We jogged all the way back to our house, constantly looking over our shoulders, expecting something to jump out at us at any moment. The peaceful feeling of our hike was gone, replaced by a sense of dread and the unshakable feeling that we were being watched. When we finally made it back home, we collapsed on the front porch, our lungs burning and our legs aching. Mary was still shaking, and Farika was close to tears. I was somewhere in between, feeling scared and confused. What was that all about? Farika asked, her voice trembling. Mary took a deep breath. I saw something in the woods, something big and gray, and it was moving towards us. Her words sent a chill down my spine. What had we stumbled upon in those quiet, secluded woods? What had been lurking just out of sight watching us? Whatever it was, I knew one thing for sure, our peaceful hike had turned into a nightmare, and it was a long time before any of us would feel safe in those woods again. Back on our porch, hearts still racing, we tried to calm down. Mary was the first to speak up. Okay, I know you guys are freaked out, I am too, but we need to talk about what just happened. Farika was huddled on the steps, her eyes wide and scared. What did you see, Mary? You said something about a gray figure? Mary nodded, taking a deep breath. When I heard that noise, I turned to look. There was this thing. It was gray, huge, and it looked like it was covered in hair or fur. It was hunched over, maybe 10 feet off the trail. It looked like it was coming towards us. I felt a shiver run down my spine. Are you sure it wasn't just a bear or something? "'I asked, trying to rationalize what she had seen. "'Mary shook her head. "'No, it wasn't a bear. "'This thing was on two legs, and it moved... differently. "'I've never seen anything like it.' "'We sat in silence for a moment, each of us lost in our thoughts. "'The idea of some unknown creature lurking in the woods near our home was terrifying. "'I remembered stories of Bigfoot and other cryptids, "'but I had never believed in them. "'Now I wasn't so sure.' Remember the stories we used to hear from the neighbors, Mary continued, about that creature they saw near the woods. I nodded. Years ago, two kids from the neighborhood had talked about seeing a mysterious animal near their home, which was close to the game lands. They described it just like Mary did, but I had always thought they were just making it up. Their grandmother saw it too, Mary added. She's not the type to believe in fairy tales or monsters, but she swore she saw it. Farrakha looked from Mary to me, her face pale. Do you think what you saw was that thing? I don't know, Mary admitted. But it's too much of a coincidence, isn't it? The same kind of creature in the same area after all these years. The thought was unsettling. If what Mary saw was the same creature, then it had been living near us for years, unseen and unknown. What else didn't we know about the woods we had grown up near? We should tell mom and dad, I suggested. Maybe they know something about it. We spent the rest of the evening talking with our parents about the incident. They were concerned, of course, but also skeptical. They suggested it might have been a misidentified animal, but they agreed to be more cautious and to keep an eye out. That night, I lay in bed, staring at the ceiling. The image of what Mary had described filled my thoughts, A part of me wanted to go back to the trail, to see for myself what was out there. But another part of me was scared, scared of the unknown and what it might mean for us. I eventually drifted off to sleep, but my dreams were filled with shadows and unseen threats lurking just beyond sight. The mystery of the state game lands had taken on a darker, more ominous tone, and I knew our lives would never be the same again. I lay in my bed that night, staring at the ceiling my mind replaying the day's events over and over. It felt surreal, like a scene from a movie or a chapter from a book, not something that would happen in our quiet rural life. I turned to my side, glancing out the window at the dark, silent woods. What mysteries did they hide? What secrets lay beneath their serene facade? The next morning, at breakfast, the atmosphere in our house was different. There was a heaviness a sense of unspoken fear and curiosity. We all sat around the table eating quietly. The usual morning chatter was replaced by a tense silence. Finally, I broke the silence. Do you think we should go back there, to see if we can find anything? I asked, more out of a need to do something than actual desire. Mary shook her head immediately. No way. Whatever that was, I don't want to encounter it again. Farika just hugged her mug of hot chocolate, looking scared. "'I don't even want to think about it,' she whispered. Mom looked at us with concern. "'I think it's best if you girls stay away from those trails for a while. Whatever you saw, it's better not to take any chances.' Dad nodded in agreement. "'Your safety is the most important thing. There are other places you can explore.' The conversation shifted then, to plans for the weekend, upcoming school events, anything but the incident in the woods, but the unspoken question lingered in the air. What had Mary really seen? As the day went on, I found myself drawn to the window, looking out at the woods. The curiosity was eating at me. I had always loved mysteries and the unknown, but this was different. This was real, and it was right in our backyard. I decided to do some research. I spent hours online reading about local wildlife, legends, and stories of strange sightings in the area, the more I read, the more I realized how little we knew about the world around us. There were so many stories, so many possibilities. Could what Mary saw be some undiscovered animal, a misidentified creature, or something else entirely? That evening, as we sat in the living room, I shared what I had found with my family. We discussed the possibilities, each of us offering our theories and thoughts. It was strange, but talking about it made it less scary, more like a puzzle to be solved. As I lay in bed that night, I made a resolution. I would continue to explore, to seek out the mysteries of the world, but I would also be more cautious, more aware of the potential dangers. The experience in the woods had changed me made me realize how vast and unknown the world really is. I fell asleep with a sense of determination and a newfound respect for the mysteries of nature. The incident in the state game lands would remain an unsolved mystery, a reminder of the thin line between curiosity and caution, the known and the unknown. I take a deep breath as I step outside into the crisp evening air, the two dogs bounding ahead of me in excitement. It's become a routine now, taking our beloved pets out to their kennels so they can have some time to run and play, to feel the freedom of the outdoors. These are not small dogs by any means. One is a sturdy Black Lab Husky Mix, and the other a full-blooded Staffordshire Terrier or Pit Bull. The kennels are positioned at the edge of our yard, right near the woods. These woods are immense, an expansive expanse of towering trees and dense underbrush that would take an entire day to hike through. But lately, when the sun dips below the horizon and the darkness encroaches, the dogs seem on edge. Their usual excitement is replaced with unease, and they bark and whine towards the house, pleading to come inside. Initially I brushed it off as them wanting to return to the warmth of our home, but as the nights passed, I began to suspect they were genuinely scared of something lurking in those woods. It was three nights ago when things took a disturbing turn. The evening had settled in, and darkness was beginning to fall, although we had a security light that prevented it from becoming pitch black. I approached the first kennel, expecting the usual cacophony of barks and whines from our eager dogs. But this time, as I reached the front of the kennel, both of them were eerily silent. My heart started to race, a shiver running down my spine. They never hesitated to greet me enthusiastically, but now they stood there, as still as statues. It sent a chill down my spine, an uneasiness in the air that I couldn't quite put my finger on. It was like an electric tension, as if I were about to be jolted by something unknown. The unease only deepened the longer I stood there. I reached for the first dog, the lab, and that's when it happened. A heavy snap, like a branch breaking, echoed from the woods nearby. I froze, the dogs froze, and by that point, I was so on edge that even a whisper would have made me jump, scream, and possibly run for my life. The air grew thick with an eerie tension, and the lab had her bushy tail tucked tightly underneath her, whining softly. It sent shivers down my spine. The pit bull, on the other hand, had moved as far away from the woods as she could, whimpering for me to come and rescue her. I could only take one dog in at a time because they got too excited and sometimes fought, so I had to leave the pit bull behind, trembling in fear. I felt guilty as I walked away, her high-pitched whining bark haunting my ears. It was a sound I had never heard her make before. The lab couldn't get to the safety of the house fast enough. I rushed back for the pit bull, my dread growing with each step. Her kennel was positioned right at the edge of the woods, and I had to turn my back to open her door. As I approached, the air turned heavy and stale, carrying with it an unpleasant smell, like that of a dead skunk. Another snap, closer this time, and I was ready to bolt, but I couldn't abandon my dog, who was now facing the woods defensively. It was as if I were walking through water, every step a battle against my fear. I reached the door and as I got my dog out, she too was scared and began growling behind me. I was paralyzed in place, my heart pounding in my chest, when I heard it, heavy breathing right behind me. My senses were on high alert and I could barely think. The breathing continued for what felt like an eternity before I heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps approaching. At that moment, terror engulfed me and without looking back, we both took off running A bone-chilling scream emanated from the base of the woods, sending shivers down my spine. I didn't dare glance over my shoulder, I just ran. My pit bull pulled me desperately toward the house. Once inside, I turned off all the lights and stared out the window at the woods. I could see something moving, just out of my line of sight. It swayed back and forth five times, then vanished. It took me hours to fall asleep that night every little noise in the darkness sending my heart racing. The following evening, I decided to take the dogs in earlier, right around dusk. I hoped it would be uneventful, but as I was getting my pit bull out of her kennel, a deafening snap echoed through the woods as a tree branch snapped in half. It sounded distant, but it was enough to make my skin crawl. I hurriedly got my dog and began walking toward the house. Just a few steps from the kennel, I heard something massive charging toward me from within the woods. Panic surged through me as we ran, and it felt like whatever it was followed us for a while before retreating. Since that night, every evening has brought strange sounds from the woods, branches breaking, things being thrown around, knocking on trees, and eerie roars. I'm terrified, and I no longer take my dogs down there. We go for walks during the day, and I ensure we're all safely inside before dusk falls. I'm at a loss for what to do, but I'm seriously considering buying a gun, though I'm unsure if it will offer any real protection from whatever lurks in those dark, foreboding woods. The mountains called to me, a siren song that resonated deep in my bones, After months cooped up due to the pandemic, with a newborn daughter cradled in our arms, my wife and I had scarcely caught a wink of sleep, let alone dreamed of escape. So when the opportunity came to join my brothers-in-law and my father-in-law for a camping trip in the high Utah mountains, I leaped at it like a trout to a fly. We drove in convoy, my newly acquired Toyota Land Cruiser leading the way, its engine purring with a promise of adventure. The vehicle was second-hand, but to me, it was a chariot to freedom. I'd thrown in my new hammock, too, eager to test it against the wilderness. The place we were headed to was a family secret, a spot so remote it took us 2.5 hours from our home in the valley. I promised not to disclose its location, and I intend to keep that promise. As we navigated the winding roads, the urban landscape gave way to an expanse of wilderness, untouched and raw. Arriving at the campsite, a sense of peace washed over me. We were surrounded by mature pine trees and aspens, standing tall and stoic. The air was cool, a welcome respite from the summer heat, hovering around 65 degrees. There was still runoff from the melting snow, and the mud it created didn't bother me. It was a mark of authenticity on my Land Cruiser. I decided to set up my hammock high between the top of my Toyota and an adjacent sturdy pine tree. Climbing onto the vehicle to reach my lofty bed, I felt a childlike thrill. I liked my hammock high, even though it often slid down the tree, leaving me to wake up with my back brushing against the cold, dew-laden earth. Once my hammock was secured, insulated against the night's chill, I moved on to help with the fire. I've always had a knack for starting fires, and this time was no different. In no time, we had a crackling fire, around which we roasted hot dogs and shared stories, the kind that only seemed to surface around a campfire. However, the night took an unexpected turn. My father-in-law, a tough old bird who'd probably chopped more wood than Paul Bunyan, managed to injure himself with the axe. He insisted on driving back to town for stitches, leaving us to wonder if he would return. Despite this setback, we enjoyed the night full moon casting a surreal glow over our camp, transforming the woods into a silver-tinted wonderland. It was the kind of night I'd longed for during those endless days and nights of lockdown, a return to something primal and deeply satisfying. Little did I know, as I settled into my hammock, high above the ground, that the night held more in store for us than just moonlit tranquility. The night grew deeper. The moon hanging like a sentinel over the serene wilderness. Our campfire had simmered down to a bed of glowing embers, casting a soft, warm light. The tranquility was deceptive, as I would soon find out. Lying in my hammock, suspended between the Land Cruiser and a towering pine, I gazed up at the star-strewn sky. It was moments like these that made me forget the chaos of the world, the constant buzz of news about the pandemic the cries of my newborn in the early hours. Here, under the vast canopy of the universe, those troubles seemed trivial. Our peace was first interrupted by an unexpected visitor. The crunch of gravel under tires heralded the arrival of a park ranger in a white Silverado. His approach was friendly, but tinged with concern. He asked if we had seen anyone else around, explaining that a camp a couple of miles away "'reported a homeless man rummaging through their stuff "'and causing a ruckus. "'The ranger was out looking for him, "'worried that the man might be lost or hurt in the rugged terrain. "'We assured him we hadn't seen anyone and would keep an eye out. "'His departure left a subtle unease in the air. "'The presence of my forty five seventy 70 lever action rifle in the Land Cruiser "'offered some comfort. "'I'd faced down the wildlife of these mountains before,' a charging bull moose and a curious bear, among others. I felt prepared for anything, or so I thought. Back in my hammock, the cool mountain air and the gentle sway lulled me into a light sleep. That's when the first pinecone hit me. I woke with a start, brushing it off as a natural occurrence, but a niggling suspicion crept into my mind. I tried to dismiss it, closing my eyes once more, only to be jolted awake by a second pinecone this time striking my back with more force. I sat up, irritation mingling with confusion. My first thought was a prank by my brothers-in-law, but a quick glance revealed them both sound asleep in their hammocks. I strained my eyes, peering into the darkness beyond our camp. The full moon cast long, dancing shadows, but I couldn't see anyone. The ranger's warning echoed in my mind, amplifying my unease. Feeling foolish, yet unable to shake the feeling of being watched, I decided to retrieve my rifle. As I clambered out of the hammock and into the Land Cruiser, I felt a twinge of worry for my father-in-law. He hadn't returned, and the possibilities of what might have befallen him nagged at me. I considered waking my brothers-in-law, but decided against it. There was no need to alarm them without cause. Back in my hammock, rifle by my side, I tried to find sleep again but every snap of a twig, every rustle of leaves sent my heart racing. The wilderness, once a place of solace, now felt like a realm of unknown threats. I resolved then, as I lay awake, vigilant and tense, that next time I would bring a tent. It seemed a flimsy protection against the unknown, but it was better than hanging exposed between two trees, a target for whatever lurked in the moonlit woods." As the night wore on every shadow seemed to take on a life of its own every sound a sinister whisper the mountains i had always known as a haven now felt like a labyrinth of unknown dangers my mind raced with thoughts of the homeless man the ranger had mentioned and i clutched my rifle like a lifeline the return of my father-in-law broke the tense silence of the night his jeep cherokee's headlights pierced the darkness and the familiar sound of its engine was a welcome relief He parked and approached my hammock, his face etched with something I couldn't quite place. Was it fear? He told me in hushed tones of his strange encounter. As he had driven up, he'd seen what he thought was a man in a ghillie suit, skulking near our camp. He'd first thought it was me, playing one of my usual pranks. But as he got closer, he realized it was someone else. Or something else. The figure had vanished into the woods, as quickly as it had appeared. His story sent a chill down my spine. I thought about the pine cones, the odd noises in the night, and the ranger's warning. Was it the homeless man, or was it something more sinister, something beyond our understanding? The mountains were full of legends, stories of Bigfoot and other mysterious creatures. Were they just tales, or was there a sliver of truth in them? We stayed up the rest of the night, our eyes scanning the darkness our ears straining for any sound out of the ordinary. The rifle lay across my lap, more a comfort than a weapon. Despite the fear, we made it through the night unscathed. As dawn broke, we packed up our camp in silence, the events of the night hanging over us like a heavy fog. We stopped at the ranger station to report our encounter. The same ranger was there, wrapping up his shift. We told him about the figure in the ghillie suit, and I couldn't help but mention my half-formed theory about Bigfoot. The color drained from the ranger's face at the mention. His reaction was odd, almost fearful. It was just a homeless person, I thought, but his reaction made me second-guess myself. Maybe there was more to the legends than I had allowed myself to believe. I kept my theories to myself as we drove back home. My father-in-law had always been a skeptic, dismissing tales of Bigfoot as nonsense. I didn't want to add to the strain of the night with my wild speculations. The mountains had always been my escape, a place of peace and solitude. But after that night, they felt different. There was a mystery hidden in the depths of those woods, a story untold. And though part of me longed to uncover it, another part wished to leave it undisturbed, a secret preserved in the wild heart of the Utah mountains."